0: This is the Bushwick Variety Show. And I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is the beginning of Season 2. I got the idea to start Season 2 when I was talking with these two guests that I'm going to share with you today. John Delgadio and Noah Lalane from the Bushwick Star. Bushwick Star is a theater, venue, um, arts collaborative space that's been around in some form since 2001. And over the time that I've lived in New York City has evolved into a very important theatrical um, arts institutions based here in Bushwick, but very important to New York City theater artists and artists at large. It's been about a month since I released an episode here and as i said when i was talking to them about bushwick star and about what they do i asked the idea of whether or not they do seasons and as i was asking it i realized why um seasons are can be a good tool to use a lot of us use seasons also for looking back and assessing where you are how you've done how you hit your goals a lot of us do that for the new year And then another one is for birthdays. And it's been about a year, a little over a year since I started this project. And this is my birthday month, August 23rd, my birthday. I might be in Seattle for a big reunion. And so I decided it was time for a reset with the podcast, assess how things are, kind of find a strategy going forward. I'm still learning and growing. So thank you for your patience if If you've been wondering where I've been at, in the meantime, I also started a blog. It's on Medium under Bushwick Variety Show where you can hear, you know, just more of my insights into all different types of things and also where I plan to write larger insights than what I put on the show notes for the episodes in iTunes. So if you want to check that out on Medium Bushwick Variety Show, you can find more about my insights to this episode but needless to say this was they were on my short list to be on the show from the very beginning so it was a pleasure to get down and talk with them they have some events coming up this summer one of them just passed so shout out to imaginary tricks love to have you on at some point and they have another one coming up at maria hernandez park on august 18th which is a few days away so in the show notes for this page for this episode for this this podcast episode you can find the links to bushwick star also check out their instagram to stay up to them uh, day to day so without further ado this is noel elaine and john delgado from the bushwick star let's have a conversation i'm noel elaine i'm the
1: uh, founding artistic director of the bushwick star
2: And I'm John Delgadio. I'm the producing director of The Bushwick Star.
0: Nice. Well, thank you very much for coming and sitting down with me. Um, Now, I recently saw, uh, a few months ago, I saw the Infinite Love Supreme. That was the title? or Infinite Infinite Love Love Party. Party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The Love Supreme's the freestyling group, which also similar. (laughs) Also very good. Yeah. Um, And for the longest time... I thought that I had maybe seen a show there like when I first moved to New York like 11 years ago um but I think maybe it was it was like in the area but it was just a loft play that some of my friends were doing and I was like was this the Bushwick Star?" um I don't think it was because I think uh your venue your theater was more of a venue by that point but from what I understand it did start like kind of like that like you guys... Um... Yeah.
1: 11 years ago, we, meaning myself or Jay Maury, our technical director, might have still been living there. Or Jay might have still have been living there. Or it was at the very end. But yeah, we used to live there, Jay and I. I mean, there's a long... Series of people who used to live there because it started out as a live workspace for a theater company that I was in With Jay and with Sue Kessler who is the co-founder of the space. We were all um, We all went to college together and we all were part of a theater company with a bunch of other people from um, our undergrad and That company is what first started using that space and it became a live workspace for the company and then as the company kind of dissolved over a few years, um, it, it was a lucky thing because because people were living there, we maintained um, the, you know, possession of the space until um, we were ready to kind of do something else with it. And that happened, that corresponded with myself moving in there in 2006. And um, I was finishing up my my graduate uh, degree and was, you know, hungry for what was next. So that's when Sue and I started really talking about, like, what we could do with the space. And now that the company had kind of, you know, come to an end. So there was a revolving, you know, Sue used to live there, Jay used to live there, um, and a bunch of other friends and people involved with that theater company.
0: Nice. Um, so what... A lot of you guys started at, uh, you said, the same undergrad together? Yes, Skidmore College is where we went to school. And what was the name of the theater company that? It was called Fovea Floods. Yeah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so what was kind of the mission going from that to when you and Sue sat down and we're talking about what was next, how was Bushwick star born and kind of what was the mission in the beginning?
1: Yeah, there was, um, a number of, I feel like when Sue or myself tell the story, I've become aware over the years that we had these kind of parallel, you know, experiences that were both moving in the same direction in a lot of ways because Sue had been living in the space then had moved upstairs. So in the same building, but, um, <clears throat> at that time, that third floor, floor of our building was still one big factory floor and there was one apartment kind of in the corner and sue moved up into that apartment and but she had been thinking about what else to do with the space and it was a set up like a theater at that point the, the company had kind of set it up as a as a little black box um and then when i moved in um, like I said, I was finishing up. Um, I was at Juilliard, and I was finishing up my, you know, the drama program there. I was go- so I was in my going into my fourth year when I moved in, and um, uh, I was looking down to the end of that year, knowing that I was going to be leaving this place where I had spent all my time for four years, and that company that before that I had really like been my kind of artistic home. Um, That community had spread out and people had moved away and started new careers and things like that and um, uh, I uh, Was hungry for a place to start a new artistic community and looking at the Being in the space every day and of course, you know, I I moved in there I started to kind of fix it up and you know um, It was a little disorganized and kind of crazy in there. So I started to you know um make it more habitable and then also look at it and be like oh that we could start to have events here things like that um i started having you know doing something i called sunday dinner where i'd be like uh we're uh, come over you know like if you want to come over on sunday i'm going to be there cooking bring something it's like a potluck and just we'll just hang out like and anyone can come and um and it was just telling friends that. So, you know, we'd have these little kind of community sit downs and talk about like dreams for the space and things like that. And so the things that were coming up were just like, we're just daydreaming about it, you know, <clears throat> concerts or um, salons or, you know, parties or, but, but things with other artists like where people could really like share work and brainstorm. So we just started telling people, um, Early in 2007, that we had a space, and if they wanted to uh, use it, they could, and um, we were renting it for something like you know five bucks an hour or something really cheap, and uh, just to see what would happen. And then um, things just kind of started to snowball once people started to use it. You know, word was getting around. We also um, were part of Arts in Bushwick that year. Mm This is 2007 that fall. Um, and, and that was, uh, you know, we had a big party and concert there and we had an artist who was a performance artist who was showing stuff during the day and that was really fun more people were coming to the space and it just started to grow very quickly. So the next two years became this test for us to understand what it was to run a space. Um, every, you know, month or so we'd sit down and go, okay. What's working? What's not? Do we want to keep doing this? You know, and he kept saying yes and saying, okay, well, what do we have to fix? What do we have to make better? You know, and how do we keep moving forward? And then it's just, we just were, uh, you know, kept expanding from, from there until after about two years, we decided let's start, um, programming the space, not just renting it out, um, or, you know, working with people that, that, or you know, the rentals became a little bit like a curated rental, but um, there was still just to you know keep uh, money coming in. We were renting to whoever wanted to use it for performances, and uh, at a certain point, I really wanted to take control of um, the content of the space. If someone came to the Bushwick star, I wanted them, I wanted to feel confident at least that they were seeing something that I felt really proud of. And I felt like this is worth seeing, even if it's not your cup of tea, like this is worth coming here to see. Um, so that's when we started programming and having a season was 2009.
0: Nice. Um, and how did you go about programming that first season? Um, then we'll start there. And then we'll kind of come and talk about the present. We don't have to go through the full chronology. Yeah, you don't want to hear all this. But uh, I would. I am interested in hearing kind of what the philosophy was about programming then. And then I guess we can kind of jump to from there kind of what the mission is now. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think
1: the mission... And we can go through the full chronology. (laughs) No, no, we'll be here for way too long. Um, I mean, the mission hasn't changed dramatically honestly um uh I think you know we when I talk about the quality of the work that we do um there's there's a, a few things that are constants and then there's there's a lot you know we do a wide variety of stuff so the constants are it's always new work we're working with you know Um, artists that we've gotten to know so one of our kind of things that we say about how we work is like we program um, people not pieces I don't go you know see something and say oh that's a great piece I want to bring it to the star I say I've been getting to know this artist and I love their work so I go to them and say "Um, do you want to make something for the star what is it you want to make and we have a conversation about what the you know things are that are in their head that they want to bring out into the world and how we can help them do that um but uh the only thing that we don't do is really traditional productions of classic plays Mm -hmm. um but other than that you know the work spans from theater to dance to music um a lot of interdisciplinary people who are working with you know different dance and music and theater all together um performance you know work that's more in the performance art territory um Um, I like a lot of different kinds of things. And so I think that's reflected in our programming. It makes us a little bit, um, the relationship of getting to know the theater for someone who's just being introduced to it a little longer because you come see something next time you come, it might be something radically different different from what you saw. So you saw infinite love party and that's definitely radically different than anything else we've done there, uh, for the most part. And it was because that was Diana's vision, you know? Um, Uh, so, um, uh, we program, I think that there's a quality that's a little hard to put your finger on, but that I always say like the thing I'm most interested in is working with artists who are really invested in having, um, communicating with the people who are in that room, right? The, the magic of the live, of live performance that there's a, not necessarily someone you know, speaking directly to the audience, um, but that they are, there's the energy of communicating with the people who are right there in front of you. And you can feel that, I think, when something's really alive and talking uh, to, you know, talking to the audience in that way, as opposed to something that may, you know, be a little more cut off and in its own sphere. It's hard to put your finger on, but that kind of generosity and eagerness to, have a conversation. I think the thing that's beautiful about theater is that um, it's a partnership, you know, between the people on stage and the people who are watching. Like we all agreed to kind of do this thing together um, and invest in this moment. There's a communal aspect to it that I, um, you know, we really celebrate. And I think you see, I mean, Diana's piece, I think is a, is you know, quite a overt example of that. Um, but it rained you know how how the each piece is doing that um you know they work quite differently
0: uh, it's interesting because um, her piece, I think um just even talking about the Sunday dinner idea, her yeah. piece was kind of incorporated that and yeah, when she was
1: talking about that aspect of it, it we it came up where you said, "Oh, you know, we used to do this thing," and she she said she really loved that and that there was that history of it, and the space felt really right. Um, I mean, Diana talked about that piece as like a wedding, mm-hmm. but without you know, without the marriage, but that it was a it was a party, but there was a ceremony and there was a structure, you know, that 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 people would um, and a commitment to love, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: Um, and I feel like I'm doing all the talking. Well,
2: because we're looking back. So, <laughs> and I was around for, was it the first or second season? I can't that uh, we did like a Tennessee Williams. First season. Okay. So I was there for the first season when I was just working other theater gigs. And then now this is my, uh, I guess this is going to be my th- Fourth, yeah, uh, season coming up as sort of like a the producing director. So John worked as an independent producer on a
1: number of projects with us over the years. This is why we, you know, knew each other so well before.
0: Got you. So yeah. how did you start doing that? Um, and in the general, or however you want to take that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I uh, the quick story, or maybe not so quick, is I worked in theater. I wasn't finding theater that I actually like felt like I was working with kindred spirits, so I left theater for a while and just sort of recalibrated my life and tried to, um, you know, was working for various charities and nonprofits and then just sort of felt that little gap in my heart and then really just started thinking going to see more stuff because i feel like i just needed to develop my eye a little bit and that's when i fell into kind of producing sort of as just by coincidence um i like having that opportunity to do big picture thinking within artists and to help lift them up uh, to whether, whatever excites them at that time and you know and have done some kind of collaborative work but would not call myself a a generative artist in that respect. Um, And then, you know, I found that producing can really be, you know, tailored to sort of what the experience is, you know, and people have different ideas of what a producer does. But for me, it's, you know, primarily to kind of, you know, be the cheerleader for an artist and to, like, do all the things to free them up so then when they come to that point of developing and rehearsing, they feel that they're free to do that and that uh, a team of us is shouldering everything else to ensure, like, their success. And by success, I mean what they see on that stage in the room was what they envisioned, regardless of critical box office, et cetera, success. Um, And so when I came to the star, it was a moment of growth for them. And having known Noel and Sue over the years, I feel like we're able to sort of envision a very organic growth Uh, that could really capitalize on the reputation and the caliber of artists and the work that Noel and Sue had been doing in the neighborhood because there's also sort of a a parallel trajectory here of investing in the neighborhood and recognizing uh, the cultural history and legacy and where we could learn from that and then fill in as we met partners who identified needs, whether that be at a community board meeting or through some early after school work that Noel was doing. Um, And so now we're at kind of this really exciting juncture where we have these deeper partnerships and we have invested, I would like to say, you know, in the neighborhood and gotten to know our elected officials and local businesses and sort of the the players of sort of um you know generationally older bushwick and sort of newer residents who want to invest in that dialogue and so it's exciting now to sort of see where those two kind of parallel lines are are intersecting, and we're really trying to make a conscious decision to to mesh them together uh, a little more as we grow and have the resources and staff to be able to invest more there.
1: Yeah, I think there was there was the awareness very early on that you know we were a gentrifying organization um and that we didn't want to be just uh, a art space that was separate i think you know you see that a lot in the neighborhood right now this the kind of almost segregation of spaces wh- who goes where and uh so that's a long uh saga as well how that those programs and initiatives have um evolved over the years and but it it has grown quite a bit in this past year especially actually and um we're really excited about where it's at and that is the yeah it's long term vision is hopefully that you know as we continue to work in another 10 years the theater is really a a, a space where um everyone who lives in the neighborhood goes um if you like
0: performance mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well for me uh like I knew about you guys for a long time. Um, my wife, you, you guys, I've met, met your wife. wife. Yeah. Um, and she told me and she, there were like several things this year that I was trying to go to, but my schedule or whatever. And then finally, like the infinite love party, which was really nice for me is um, there were people from all different um, aspects of like the theater world, um, music world, um, and just people from living in Bushwick for a long time that I all saw together at that party. And it was very inclusive. Um, so that was for me, like a good, like I said, I don't know if I was at something way back in the day, but it was really nice to be there for that one. Cause it was like, Oh, and for me as a resident of Bushwick and an artist in Bushwick, it was like, okay, this is like a place where I want to be because I see the community that I seek and have been finding represented here. Um, so good job. Thanks. (laughs)
1: Thanks. I mean, so much of that had
0: to do with, um,
1: with Diana and the kind of work that, um, she's making, but, uh, but yes, that is also our, that's we're trying to work with people who are cultivating that kind of experience. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like early on, um, I, I found that the way I spoke about the space, even though I was thinking about it as a space that did a lot of different kinds of uh, work and performance, I would, just because it was my habit, use the words theater and often say like play, and it was not uh, uh, received well by the art community yeah i'd say that even people i knew you know like oh you should come see this cool play at the the theater and they'd kind of look at me like yeah i probably won't (laughs) so i stopped saying that because um the i think the connotations with those words are like it's going to be boring and it's going to be um sad and bad probably it'll (laughs) be bad whereas the work we're doing i think it was much more much broader um performance spectrum so i just started saying come see this great artist at my performance space right
0: (laughs) but it's funny because i think like that is what theater should be yeah yeah it's become like a narrow thing like in at least in general thought but even yeah if i hear theater play without more specifics you're like snooze you know um totally Totally. And yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I thought,
1: well, what does that, what does, if you take away the connotation or the, you know, this, the way that people think about what theater is, which you can't, so it's kind of a moot point, but just as a thought experiment, like, what does it mean? You know, what is theater, uh, really how many, you know, what falls into that category and what doesn't. And, um, Uh, I think it's largely defined by people's association with it. Yeah. More than anything, you know, that it means like, um, I don't know. I couldn't think of Hello Dolly or
2: something. Yeah, I think it's like revivals of things or like the canon of like old dead white men. Right. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, I'll pass, you know, or I don't need to see like another like a 1920s version of Shakespeare, you know.
1: (laughs) And I think it's it's... A lovely thing that because of the work we do, our audience is, you know, we have um, the opposite, uh, uh, I was going to say problem. I guess when you look at it from a fundraising point of view, it is a problem. Um, but uh, the opposite problem that most theaters have, which is we have a very young audience and everybody wants the young audience. And we have one, which is lovely. I mean, we our audience ranges in age. Um, but the young audience doesn't have as much
0: money. Is correct. That the problem? Yeah.
1: That's the problem. For a non-profit. Mm -hmm. With with 70 seats. Yeah. Who (laughs) keeps their ticket prices very low. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera.
0: But I feel like the... Are you finding like over time... Like I feel like just like this neighborhood, it was, you know, yeah, gentrification, but like the artists that moved in here, it was definitely younger artists at the time. Yeah. um, And then come in, start creating art. And then I feel like the older crowd ends up following. Um, so have you found as far as like fundraising and support, have you found like, have you found you've been getting support from the older guard over time? And I mean, that's a tricky thing. Yeah. Honestly, not really.
1: Uh, most of our growth in terms of support has been through foundations and government, um, individuals are are hard, uh, hard, you know, we have uh, some, some, yes. I mean, I don't mean to say we, because we do have some older supporters and I don't, wouldn't want to hang them out to dry. (laughs) But um, in terms of numbers, it's a, it's a, it's a long process. And I think for a space like ours, um, that's often working with artists that you haven't heard of before, you know, who are earlier in their career, who um, will make, be making names for themselves in the next Few years and you know, but you're at that point where um, you're asking for people to to support you who have to really be interested in the work and making new work and taking chances, and that's what inspires them, and that's why they want to support your organization, and that that can be um, that can be a, a you know a, a tough nut to crack in terms of finding individual fundraising yeah. yeah,
2: and then as far as I mean, I feel like where we do we have had sort of older generations of artists who've come to us or who've Noel's been in conversation with, who've really been like, I have this thing. No one wants to do it. I basically put it in a drawer years ago, but I think it would really sit well here. And so I I think there's an appreciation of different generations of artists, you know, who can sort of get a little bit of sense of maybe, you know, what they were feeling in like, the East Village or Lower East Side in the 80s and 90s. And I think that, you know, we very much have grown to be an incubator uh, for kind of larger institutions. I mean, that's kind of the nature of like, quote, downtown theater is that it's sort of like the research and development department for (laughs) larger institutions, which is exciting to see uh, artists that we partner with, you know, then be lifted up and have like touring and all of this other stuff. And so I think there's probably, you know, a a handful of people like funders included who sort of have their eye on that and their finger on that kind of very specific pulse. Uh, But yeah, it's also, you know, it's, I still meet people who I would consider being like very much entrenched in the theater scene here. And they're like, what's that again, you know, and he's like, okay, you know, at least by now most people aren't like, how do I get there? Um, We've gotten over that hurdle.
1: (laughs) But, you know, we were saying earlier, I mean, we had two Tony Award winners this past year have made work at the Bushwick Star, and um, we're always trying to, you know. Which ones were those? Rachel Chavkin, who directed Hades Town. Nice. Um her company, the team, did a show called Roosevelt with us about oh god, I don't know how many years <laughs> ago. I lose track. The years all blend together. And then Daniel Fish, uh, who directed Oklahoma, uh, this new kind of, you know, it's a
0: this yeah, new take yeah. on it.
1: Yeah. Have you seen did you see I it?
0: haven't seen it, uh it's kind of amazing. I've heard of yeah.
1: Yeah. He did a piece with us um also sometime in the past, in the in our in the last ten years. Um So, you know, we try to, um, help, you know, I think when we're talking to people about what the space does, try to frame it in that way to be like, we are investing in a lot of new work and people who we think are really exciting voices and and really, you know, really uh, incredible artists. And they will, you know, some of these people you will be hearing about in the future. Um, we hope all of them, but, um. But that that is part of our of like what we do that trajectory you know that we're the artists we support are also now um, you know I was going to say like, touching you know going to places going to Broadway bringing shows there I think we're in it, also in a really interesting moment in terms of like what can go to Broadway what producers are actually taking chances on and we're seeing a lot of like um, more original and um, work that's taking, you know, different forms going to Broadway, which is really exciting. Um, So that's also an an exciting moment to be in, in the city right now.
0: I also think it's an exciting moment and maybe just because like for me, like I, I used to act and then I stopped. And then over the last couple of years I've been getting more serious about it. Um, But there is a thing about Broadway being the ultimate goal and it's not necessarily like I say, it's not necessarily, but still those like um, commercial things being the ultimate goal. Um, I recently got called in for an audition. This is like just going through open calls at like a theater that I, like I almost did a show out when I first got here. And then I don't think I got this one this time, but being in this room at this place, um, well I'll say it, it was a Joe's pub, yeah. which I love, I've, I want to work there at some point yeah. because kind of above any, like I do music too. So also play that, whatever, but I like incubators to me. I realized when that happened and just the idea of it, it was like, wait a second for me, like as an actor, um, and as an artist, like for me, I would want to work on, Broadway so that I would have a little bit easier time getting in at some of the theaters that I really want to work at. It's not to say that I wouldn't want to work on Broadway, yeah. but you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I
1: don't mean to, yeah, to say that Broadway should be the, anyone's ultimate goal. I, I, I think for a lot of people that we know making work and as we get older, especially, and, you know, practical concerns, yeah. like having that kind of success just helps you like live your life, you know, like, and did make money and have a career. Um, But what's exciting about, I think, you know, places like The Public and Joe's Pub and the Under the Radar um, uh, Festival there and other peer institutions like Ars Nova and, uh, you know, Soho Rep and um, places that really invest in development is how um, Club to Thumb, New Georgia's I could go on and on, but like it's nice after 10 years of growing the star to feel how close a relationship we have with all these places and conversations about who we're all supporting and how, you know, who can you send my way and, 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 um, how can this person, you know, get into this, uh, residency that's going to help them develop this piece. And it's a, it's a wonderful, like, citywide sense of community. yeah.
0: Which is really... And that's the that's what I love, too. And that's what know? I guess I was saying I'm excited about. Um, and maybe it feels like... It feels to me like there's, like, a lot of really cool things happening right now. Yeah. Um, Do you feel that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it can always feel like that, too. But I feel like right now, um, there's just a lot of people... And I guess also, like, with, you know, the Tonys, this... Just... And again, not those not that those awards <laughs> are everything, but it feels like there's a lot of people creating really good art and um some of that really uh out of the box art is being is having some commercial success right now. Yeah. Which is it's good to see that. Yeah,
2: and I think and I think too, like, you know having all these peers and sharing resources means we're also constantly trying to challenge the models of how things are Mm -hmm. done and I think even the way that things are being produced on Broadway you know there's like you know a whole horde of people who will band behind something and be like we're gonna get it there we're gonna bring it to Canada or England or whatever and like the idea of sort of you know, these, like, monolithic, like, institutional producers. I think people are trying different models and, you know, uh, the same way that just sort of, like, crowdsource funding has, you know, uh, had an effect on everything from political campaigns to, like, making your art. Um, And so I think that's exciting. And I think, you know, the... I personally feel like the sense of like competitiveness is lower now. We have all these peers because there's, it's more transparent. I feel like even in the eighties and nineties, it's like, Oh, you got that grant. And it's like, I'm not gonna say anything about that. And now it's like, let's just put it all on the table. You know, we all have this passion for, you know, uh, an art form that has plenty of kind of like reputation and visibility challenges (laughs) for a variety of reasons. And so it's exciting that we could call up any number of peers at other companies, whether it be like, do you wanna partner on this piece? or like, how are we gonna talk about what's going on? How are we thinking about the idea of press, which is very much uh, a a topic, a very topical conversation right now, in particular, uh, the lack of press of color. And so I feel like, um, we're all banding together and we all have our own thing to do, uh, but it's really nice that resource sharing. And so I think we're actually seeing a little bit of a trickle up in the way of what's, uh, landing on Broadway and how it's getting there, the content of the pieces as well as how it's, uh, being pieced together that I, I find exciting. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, so speaking on community, um, you find artists by through working and through seeing things. Um, how do artists find you? Like does, is there a way for that? And I guess the question is, do you still do the Sunday dinner in some sense? You know, we always talk about bringing that back. and I actually
1: would really like to, um, because it was, I just love the spirit of it. It was a nurturing weekly event. Um, So we keep talking about that. But uh, in terms of how artists find us right now, you mean get in contact?
0: No, I don't mean, I mean, yeah, but I mean like artists just, do. like you guys pick artists or do artists pick you? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know it's, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, we pick artists.
1: Right. But we don't have a formal submission process. Right now, it's still um, getting to know people by seeing their work and having conversations. So, people, you know, I mean, half of my um, day is spent responding uh, or trying to respond to all the invitations and mm-hmm. things to pieces um, and trying to make judgments about what, you know, there's only seven days in the week. So, I have to make some, you know, choices about like this is what I can make, this is what I can't. Um, but it's really just that right now it's just you know hitting the pavement and uh, seeing work and then having conversations, sitting down And with I guess people.
0: let me also expand that to like not just actors or playwrights but like other people younger people whatever but mm-hmm, people that yeah. want to work in theater or work in a art space in some form who want to collaborate is it the same way I guess or
2: yeah I mean I you know, I, I know I can speak for myself and I know Noel does this too. Like, look, people move to the city. They're like, oh, a friend told me about you. And I feel like we try to, you know, meet and have coffee with anyone who sort of tracks us down and just sort of wants to to pick our brain. I think there's sort of tiers of things. Like we have a reading series, uh, you know, that people can send some submissions to. so it's really kind of like you know people who get in touch with us we try to engage with them at least to sort of be like here's what our process is like first of all we're pretty much booked through 2022 because that's the name of the game now of sort in in order to support the artists who are coming we really need to work at least ahead. one yeah. to two years in advance so we can get them the grants and find the right team and do all of that stuff um and then it really is like invite us to stuff keep inviting us to stuff you know we have a a small team including the reading series uh, co-curators so when like Noel runs out of his seven days of the week you know some of us can sort of fan out and see what's going there and sort of be like you should have a further conversation with people you know we have a volunteer program uh, so people can come see shows for free and just sort of stand at the door to help us a half hour before um, you know and then there's and, and there are some people who only like to come to our reading series and they come less to the main stage productions. And then I think what we're trying to do now is co- connect more of the dots as people kind of graduate from some of the educational and community programs. How do we stay in touch even if it's not at the star? You know, when we, we have a big green theater program with elementary uh, school students in the area. And so then when they sort of leave at fifth grade it's maybe not appropriate always for them to come see our shows but we can say like oh, but you should definitely talk to someone at El Puente or at My Voice, which is housed in Riseboro. They have some youth theater programs. And then for sort of older students, it's like we're trying to do more and more workforce development opportunities or for people who really want to be like, I want to learn about technical theater to have our technical staff kind of train them how to hang lights and do all that. So then they become part of our crew roster that we go to when we hire and not necessarily the usual downtown theater roster. So I feel like there's different points of entry and access kind of surrounding the art and the projects, uh, but the art specifically kind of remains sort of in, in this, you know, longer conversations uh, with Noel and sort of Noel just sort of thinking about the, the makeup of a season and whose stories are we telling, and and what mediums are people working in? Um, so so yeah, so people should definitely hunt us down, and we'd like to be transparent about the process of you know, like we're most likely not going to read your sort of cold call script and be like, let's program it for a variety of reasons, mostly that we're probably booked uh, <laughs> a few years in advance.
0: Nice. Um, so being booked a few years in advance, uh, what's the best way for people to follow what the Bushwick star is doing? Um, well, we have a website, we have
1: a mailing list, which is probably the best way to just get the pertinent information for what's coming up. Um, it's just the bushwickstar. Um, and then we have an Instagram and a Facebook page. So we tr- we we constantly, um, taking pictures of what's happening in the space and the artists and talking about the, you know, what's, what's
0: happening, what's coming up. Do you do, um, just thinking of models and stuff like that. And like, I'm thinking about this with the podcast. Like I think, well, they'll hear it, I guess, on the intro, but I think, um, This episode and the next the next ones that I do um, are gonna be part of season two. Um I wasn't necessarily gonna do seasons, but also with like this, this is like a new form. Um people are figuring it out, plenty of people are doing podcasts. But I to me, the reason I wanted to do it was or a season two is kind of okay, there's things about last this past year that I'm happy with. There's things that were a challenge. And so from a practical sense, a season two is like a way to be like, okay, now I'm going to, even if it's just a shift of the mind, um, going forward, going to try to, you know, intentionally do things this way for season two, even if, even if it's largely the same structure, um, having seasons can sometimes help make steps forward. So in that sense, we feel that way. Do you, uh, Do you do the true because I was just wondering, like, you know, you could just you could just plot things ahead like without having the season frame. But on the other hand, I can see the season frame being useful for the that, for like the organization of the mind and you know. I guess the question is, is there a twenty nineteen to twenty twenty season or like what's the Yes. There is, and it's up.
1: actually, the artists are now listed on our website <laughs> and everywhere else, um, and that starts in uh, September, and we, our seasons run September through June, essentially middle of June is usually when the last show closes, and uh, and yeah, I find that, it's funny, I was just saying this to my wife uh, the other day when we were talking about, or maybe it was this morning. So long ago. Uh, I was saying, we just, you know, took our little summer break to get out of town. I, I, I was saying, I feel like when we come back, like that's really when the next year starts. Mm-hmm. Because we just got through our whole season. Then we got, you know, our little break to like reset. And now the new season has started. And there's this moment of like, what is the character of this season that we're now plunging into? Have shed, you know, really finished, completed the last one. And that there's this shift. and. Um, So I definitely feel that it helps. And and we have all these, you know, I mean, running a staff now, we have been having our conversations with our staff about what our goals are for this year and what we learned last year and what we need to change. So I think that structure really helps uh, not only organize, you know, my mind about the, um, the, you know, kind of artistic makeup of the season, but also just the organization needs Mm -hmm. a structure within which to plan for the future and uh, know uh, we tried this this year and how'd it go, you know, and and, um, be able to tell the difference. You need that kind of rubric. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny. We were talking about artistically in terms of the seasons. There is not – there's never a plan – to say you know there's no theme for each right. season there's no kind of you know uh there's really not an organizing principle it's uh, a variety it's more about a variety of artists and um making different kinds of work and from different kinds of backgrounds and really like coming up with a really you know uh diverse group of people in one season however I notice, I feel like each year, and I think this is just how people um, respond to, you know, the zeitgeist, like whatever's in the air, you see themes right. that you can track and go, oh, wow, this, like last year was a lot about identity and memory. And that was kind of, you know, really in the forefront through each piece that we did in different ways. So that's interesting because that's mm-hmm. not a planned thing, but that generally does. You you can see that happen. I guess it's people responding to the world
0: yeah um and so in the summer is the theater dark or are there like one-off events there's a couple one-off
1: events but mostly it's um the artists who are in the season uh, coming up have residency time to like just yeah do some work mm-hmm. get in the space and try some things out we have a park uh, a, a show that or it's a whole event that we do in collaboration with uh, OJ Group, which is Modesto Flaco Jimenez's company. So we partner to do a summer arts festival, which will be on August eighteenth in Maria Hernandez Park. Okay, it's free. There's lots of like activities throughout the afternoon for
0: kids, and then there's. Um, is that. Can people find links to that on your website? Yeah, it's
2: sort of, we'll be releasing kind of the roster of artists soon, but there's definitely some basic information up there, and we've been sort of uh, plugging it in our weekly e-blast as well. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then the, the summer residencies are just part of, you know, probably going back to just the core of what Noel and Sue were doing as far as giving time and space for the development of work i think uh there was definitely a conscious decision in the company's history uh to sort of be like you know what rentals that's a totally different business model and yes it might bring in some extra earned income but what these generative artists are craving is not to be locked into like you know just come in a week before your show take right. it and go so to have these different touch points along the way definitely this summer but more and more it's kind of like we'll let you know when a show is running there's space there if you want to you know come and write or test out an idea or do some casting or you know jam with some musicians to test some ideas out so that's I think what's really exciting and what our artists are responding to is being able to have that runway is you know surprisingly unique kind of in the landscape because a lot of it is just sort of like there's this finite slot Um, and so I think uh, when that decision was made uh, it just sort of deepened the partnerships and the work so yeah, even the season running September through
1: June, uh, even though that's the parameters of the season, the space is hardly ever empty uh, or not being used because we just, there's no there's no um, lack of need for space <laughs> and we know a lot of people and so we, we end up filling it. We also have a concert, um, do you know Imaginary Tricks? Do you know Mike Visser at all?
0: That name rings a bell.
1: He you, he might have made you a bagel at Wyckoff Stars in time. He okay. also works there. He's worked there for a long time. He's like a genius musician. He has a great rock band called Imaginary Tricks. They're performing on August tenth um, with Rourke Menzies as well. who's also another friend. Uh, um, so yeah, we, cr- we you know we'll have these one offs where people will say I want to do a show and we'll find a you know a date that works.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um is there anything else you guys want to talk about?
1: <laughs> I mean gardening? Yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> Oh, there's all sorts of fun things to talk about, but uh yeah, no. I think so.
2: Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, uh one thing that was sort of like TBD uh is You know, we had been partnering with El Puente's uh, Bushwick kind of outpost, uh, doing a bunch of surveys like mm, over like a year and a half ago now to really try to engage with various generations of residents to talk to, to them about the ideas of cultural history and legacy, like what used to be here that they missed, what's here now that they're excited by, what would they like to see, and It was through a city program that we kind of came together to do that work. We don't really know the future of that program, but that partnership with El Puente deepened a relationship that already existed, but also has, you know, led us to want to, you know, move on to the next step regardless of the city's participation. And so... Uh, there will be coming a moment in the future where we hope to kind of move ourselves to the next phase to sort of like, you know, hear from uh, Bushwick artists and residents to sort of like what is needed. You know, we were really hearing a lot of like, there's no like cultural center here. And from the outside, you know, all these people are coming from all over the world and they're like, oh, it's this arts mecca. And there's, uh, you know, a lack of arts programs in the schools. There's all of this. It's such a, uh, it's so disparate in a way. Um, And so it's exciting to, you know, be learning from these generations of people and groups to figure out what those next step are, uh, steps are. And so I guess it's sort of just like beyond notice, there will be, you know, uh, future opportunities to weigh in on sort of, the cultural history legacy impact and and really focusing from kind of local out versus the sort of like external cultural tourism that I think many people associate with with the area so that's exciting and I know uh, El Puente's eager to talk and figure out those next steps and so you know and we honestly had success reaching certain populations and not huge success reaching other populations and so uh, I think we're Looking for people who are excited about that conversation from all angles. So, just a sort of like to be continued moment there.
1: Yeah. Oh, and can I plug our season? Who's okay. coming Absolutely. Up? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking we didn't do that. So, I'll just go through it real quick. Um, Justin Hicks and his band with his uh, wife and sister, the Hot Plates, there in September. Um, I won't go into the details of each piece because it'll just take too long, but uh, an artist named uh, Gary XXX Fisher in uh, November, in December, um, James Monaco and Jerome Ellis uh, in the beginning of the year, uh, January, uh, February, and then Gillian uh, Walker um, in uh, March. We have our big green theater performances, which we do every year, which is the performance of the the kids' writing that we work with over the winter in April. Uh, that program is run uh, with uh, in collaboration with Superhero Clubhouse from the beginning. This actually will be our tenth year of that program, which we're really excited about. And then, last but not least, uh, a play by uh, a playwright named Hillary Miller. Um, and that's it. That's our those that's our artist uh, lineup. We're yep. Really excited. It's going to yeah. be an amazing season.
2: And we'll do reading series sharings, which are free in December and March. Um, and you know, like Noel said, perhaps a little pop up one off event here and there. <laughs> yeah,
1: and you can find right now. Um, we'll be releasing uh, throughout the next four weeks, and we've already released two little uh, profile interviews that um, Jesse Cameron Alec, who is the dramaturg at the public, uh, has been doing with each of the artists. So there are these great little kind of personal uh, encounters with them um, that helps you get to know who they are a little bit. Um, So you can find out some more about those artists by checking those out on the
0: website well that sound, all sounds exciting yeah um and I look forward to to seeing it seeing stuff this year cool um, thank you so cool oh and the other two the 10th and the 18th are the two events coming up next imaginary
1: tricks on the 10th at the star and then our summer arts festival um with Flaco uh, Jimenez performing pieces from his, his upcoming piece, Taxilandia, and um, Xenia um, Rubinos, who's a, a amazing singer-songwriter, is going to be uh, performing a concert at the end of the probably, I think it's at
2: 6? So yeah, we have activities starting at 3 p.m. for kids and families, and then around 5.30 p.m. we'll have performances into the early evening. And that's on, in the park? Or at that's the... in Maria Hernandez Park on August 18th.
1: Oh, and so it's cool. free. And there'll be dominoes and a DJ, and it'll just be fun.
0: Sounds fun. Well, thank you guys for sitting down. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, man. So that was my conversation with Noel Elaine and John Delgadio from the Bushwick Star. I want to share, real quick, uh, their vision statement. The Bushwick Star aims to be a thriving cultural institution rooted in its founding mission to nurture artists in creating their most groundbreaking work while also exemplifying the idea that affordable equal access art can obliterate boundaries of class and cultural divides and that live theater is essential in preserving our generation's ability to connect, engage and participate in the present moment. I really love that statement. I really align with that vision. Um, I think it's something that we all can agree upon and work towards in our endeavors and in our lives and in our projects. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I encourage you to pursue whatever it is that you think you can do. Remember, theirs started with some very talented people in a loft here in Bushwick, New York. I don't think when they moved in there that they knew what Bushwick would become as far as an arts hub in New York. Uh, Maybe they did. I had some feeling even 11 years ago, it was already kind of off to the races when I got here, but it's, it's grown so much since then. And it's still very much a part of the community. So I was, I was very glad to have them on this podcast. And I look forward to seeing what they do this year. If you're in the area, check out the the party, the the outdoor festival Maria Hernandez Park on August 18th. Also, if you want to, you know, hear more of my insights into that, Check out the blog post on Medium. It's just going to be called Bushwick Star. It's on the Bushwick Variety Show blog there. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed that and if you enjoyed this, please subscribe, rate, review, share. Uh, If you want anybody on here or you want to be on here, reach out on Instagram. Reach out via the website, Facebook, however you choose. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Peace.